0: Today we have a very special guest. His name is Blake Cohen, and he's a certified addictions professional. And he got that through the Florida Certification Board. He is fueled by passion and education and his professional, personal, and family experience with substance use abuse. Blake aims to assist those that have been directly or indirectly affected by substance use disorders towards a path of understanding and healing. He is also the best-selling author of the book, I Love You, More Stories of Addiction Recovery and Loss from the Family's Perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Blake Cohen. How are you today, Blake?
1: What an intro. Thank you for having me. I'm great today. How are you? Oh,
0: fantastic. You know, it's been a wonderful, amazing day. All my days are amazing. And I'm so, I don't know if you know my story, but in 2003, uh, I was diagnosed with ALS and told I have six months to live. Wow. So I turned to the doctor and I said, is there a way to prove the diagnosis? And he said, of course, on autopsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I, I shot back and said, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. And I have quite a story over the last couple of years, but this is not about my story. This is about yours. And I want you to tell me, Blake, I've read part of your book and you seem to have a very personal attachment to addiction, not just a regular counselor's attachment. And I want to explore that a little bit. Sure.
1: Well, you know, I think, like many people, um, it was my personal experiences that where I have gained that attachment to it. And it wasn't just me. It was my I've had multiple family members that have suffered from addiction or, as it's called today, substance use disorders. Um, but you know eventually thinking watching family members struggle with it as i'm growing up and thinking i would never fall into that trap and i'll never i'll never live a life like that well i thought wrong as a kid and i you know i I fell into the dangers of of addiction and i'm i'm fortunate to say that i'm I'm in recovery today since new year's eve 2012 is my sober date and Cool. It's been a battle and a process, but it has been probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, genuinely.
0: no, Now, do you mind if I pry a little bit? Not at all. I'm an open book. Okay. What What's things helped you? What helped you? Was it the Seven Steps program? Or, or what exactly helped you out of that quagmire?
1: What I will say is what's kept me clean and sober is involvement in a 12-step program. What got me to a place where I was open to the help of a 12-step program and open to change uh, was my family. And it was um, my fam- It was me realizing that I was not just affecting myself and coming to the conclusion that I can no longer do this if I'm hurting and affecting the people I love the most that i must find a way out of this and that is what motivated me to get clean and sober but what keeps me sober is a 12-step program it is constant work on myself outside of a 12-step program it is helping other people and remaining connected to people who are actively struggling either actively struggling or um, looking to get better or have been better for a while it's the connection that really keeps me going
0: Thank you. That for that, like now, you know, experts have said that even with the twelve step program, that ninety five percent of addicts, or maybe even ninety nine percent addicts, have trouble beating their addiction. What's your take on that?
1: Uh, two things I'll say. Um, one, I think that those statistics are skewed. I don't know how they're exactly measuring success. And from what I've seen, a hundred percent of people who actively participate and take suggestions and are willing to do the work to stay, to get sober and clean and to stay clean and sober uh, will succeed. And if you can accept and understand that it's something stronger than you and that it's a disease, and that we have to fight this on a daily basis, even just a little bit every day, I think that you can be 100% successful at this. Um, but the statistics are, it just depends who's, who's doing the study, you know? And I, I've seen a lots of different numbers out there. But if you don't mind, if, if I could uh, do something to educate your listeners and just mention something,
0: if you don't mind, I, I want so, to like, Blake, the floor is yours. And I would like you to run with that a bit.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I think a big piece of why those statistics are so abysmal is the stigma that's often associated with, with having an addiction problem. And it's this, if I went to the doctor and was diagnosed with diabetes, the doctor would tell me, OK, you need to do this, do that, follow up with that. meaning you're going to have to maintain a healthier lifestyle. Um, but being diagnosed with addiction comes with a label. And oftentimes, that label is the word addict, or alcoholic, or junkie, or whatever it may be. So what I'm trying to do, and many other people are trying to do, is to change the terminology that we use to describe somebody who suffers from an addiction. And it no longer using the term addict, I'm trying to get rid of that word addict because of the stigma associated with it. Because if I say addict to you, there's a mental image, even for me, someone who's in recovery now for a long time and knows many people in recovery and many people struggling. I hear the word addict and I automatically go to a bad person or a person who's on the street, who's cleaning, You know, there's a there's a negative connotation. So what I would love if, if we could all make an attempt in our day-to-day life to stop using terms like addict or alcoholic and saying something like a person who struggles with addiction, or a person who has a substance use disorder, a person who has the disease addiction.
0: Blake, I commend you for that. That really is what's necessary. You know, words cause messages. They cause images and they cause labels and they gunny people into categories. Yes. And all those things act; cause us to act towards that. When I think of an addict, I think of a person that's an alcoholic passed out in the street or a person taking a needle, sticking it into their arm. Now, that's not what a person with substance abuse is. They're going through a time when they're recovering. So again, we have to realize and applaud people for the recovering that they're doing. They are the true heroes in our society.
1: And also to understand that somebody who's not recovering yet, but who is addicted to a substance, if we look at them from a medical perspective or a psychological perspective, it's somebody who's gone through trauma and is looking for ways to cope and to self-medicate with feelings that they can't cope with. So they're looking for something outside to make them feel better. And that's the reality of the disease. I'm somebody who was never on the street. I was somebody who never shot up and used needles. Um, I had my fair share of being passed out. I'm not gonna lie. But the truth is, is I come from a nice home. I come from nothing broken. I worked my jobs the entire time that I was struggling. And I wasn't the person that you would ever imagine. If you saw me in active addiction, you would have no idea. But it was a secret. I was living a double life because I was so scared to tell somebody. I couldn't stop taking these pills every day.
0: I couldn't stop drinking. I hear you. I hear you. Like, like I'm going to t- change gears for a bit. In my book, the secrets to living a fantastic life, I refer to love as a golden pearl, as something that's really important in people's lives. How does that apply to addiction?
1: I'm going to say this and it's going to sound as cheesy as humanly possible, but love is everything in helping somebody overcome a substance use disorder. It is everything. Because when you're in that addiction, you feel unlovable. And to know that there are people out there that whether it's tough love or overwhelming love or connection, but there's people out there who have your back and are willing to trudge that road with you of re- early recovery. That love is what can carry somebody from active addiction to a, a, a life in recovery.
0: Cool. Now, how does an addict move to self love? And I'm going to correct you right there that word addict. Yes, you. <laughs> you, you see, the problem is the words are so ingrained. You know, I, am a doctor, but that's been the word I've always used. Of course. So let's let, thank you for correcting me. No, that's okay. And, let's and, that's, move on.
1: and I hope you don't take offense to it. It's, it's something that I try to do to help people and it, I it, not coming from a bad place at all. I know that in the end though, if we can all change that terminology, we can change the results mm-hmm. of this epidemic that we're currently in. Not the COVID epidemic, but the addiction and opioid overdose epidemic that we're in. So how,
0: how did you move to self-love?
1: A lot of introspection, um, a lot of guidance from other people. Um, I've always heard this phrase early on that if you want to build self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. And it really came from the form of helping other people and being of service without expecting anything in return, uh, which is part of a program, the 12-step program that I'm in. That's part of the program is, is we give back what was freely given to us. So we help the next person who walks into the room. We're able to help guide them to a place of recovery and self-love.
0: Sure. Now, I'm going to take you into a, like a difficult phase, and that is most people... That have been in the situation have had, they're vulnerable, mm. but they have to admit to their vulnerability to overcome their situation. Yes. How did you, what was your relationship with vulnerability? And how did that help you? Or how did you arise and become come as you are through that vulnerability?
1: Vulnerability is something that I have developed. The ability to be vulnerable, I'll say, has something that I've developed over the course of the last nine years or so. Um, I could tell you for the first three months of my recovery, I was still in the habit of wearing the mask, that everything is perfect. I don't need to show you my pain. I'm good. I got this. And It took me letting those walls down and admitting weakness at times or admitting that I'm struggling or that I don't know how to do something and asking for help. Uh, It took a while, but that is really what has changed my perspective. And now, um, as you can see, I'm somebody who openly talks about my struggles because what I found about vulnerability and the amazing truth about it is that that's the true connecting piece that connects me to you and me to anybody. I've had talks with strangers where I've opened up about myself within the first five minutes, and all of a sudden I'm in the grocery store having this incredibly deep conversation with somebody I'll never see again, but connected on a level that I never would have if I just kept it surface level.
0: That's amazing. So now we're going to go to another one. Another one of my golden pearls is empowerment. How did you become empowered? And how do people that were or are in a situation like you were get empowered?
1: That is a great question. And to me, vulnerability is easy. Um, Empowerment or feeling empowered is is a fight and a struggle sometimes for me. Um, I like to beat myself up. So to feel empowered, um, there's days where I just have to put one foot in front of another and just do whatever the next right thing is or the next the next thing that I know I'm supposed to do that's good so that I can feel uh, that sense of empowerment or self-esteem to... You know, actually the best way that I can put this is that, and why I say sometimes that I'm blessed to be in recovery from a substance use disorder is because the recovering process requires me to make progress on a daily basis. It requires me to constantly be introspective and see where I can be better in my personal, my financial, my relationships. It makes me look at myself and evaluate myself constantly. And I think that's how I feel empowered is little bits at a time and then taking the time to do an inventory and look back and say, wow, look what I've accomplished in the last three months. And helping people understand, too, that you make progress little baby steps at a time.
0: Got two more questions for you, sir. Sir, sure. If you met a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give? Man, I think about this question
1: all the time. Would I change? Would I give myself advice? Um, I there's there's this part of me that wants to go back and say, "Don't pick up that. Don't take that pill. Don't don't take that drink. Don't date that girl. Don't." There there's parts of me that wants to do that, but then I don't think I want to give my old self advice. Um, I think the only piece that I would say is that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to ask for help and you are lovable exactly the way that you are and you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. Maybe the only thing that I would say, but I honestly don't think my younger self would have listened.
0: I don't think so. Blake, how do you live a fantastic life?
1: Well, one day at a time. Um, I think mindfulness and recognizing the beauty that's around me Um, instead of worrying about the past and worrying about the future of really staying in the moment i think is the only way to live a fantastic life of making the most out of every day
0: honestly yeah that's cool and i think it's also with the aid of the 12 steps that you have every day yeah it's training and the people and the people around you the wonderful people that you respond to and those that respond to you.
1: I find if I just include a little bit of gratitude and some days I'm better at it than others, but if I include a little bit of gratitude into every day, I I find that I am living a fantastic life. If I do that, I can appreciate what I have and I don't go back into that
0: place of poor me. Another one of my golden pearls that you just mentioned for our audience. Sir, you've been amazing. Thank you for sharing. Now, if people would like to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Uh,
1: Well, I would suggest uh, going to one of two websites. You can go to nextlevelrecoveryassociates.com or you can go to BlakeEvanCohen.com. And I would love if you guys would check out my book on Amazon, I Love You More, Short Stories of Addiction, Recovery, and Loss from the Family's Perspective. It's a short, quick read, but I, right to the point. That's excellent.
0: You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Did you know that you can get a free copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life? Yep. Just visit 13gpnow.ca and we'll send it right to you. That's the number 13gpnow.ca. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you next week. Have a fantastic day.